Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. We are presenting today a nonprofit digital health workshop with Tim Mockey from Human Stack. So my name is Carolyn Woodard. I'm the Outreach Director for Community IT, and I'm the moderator today. So I want to quick touch on our learning objectives. At the end of the session today, we hope that you can diagnose your organization through a free digital health quiz. We want to help you understand the human behaviors and needs that are at the root of IT management at nonprofits, learn the basics of nonprofit tech decision-making strategies, and learn the order of steps to take to gain decision-making confidence. My name is Tim Lockie. I live in Bozeman, Montana, and I'm really excited to talk with you today. Um, I've been working in nonprofits since I was 18 and care a lot about making the world better. And I think we could leverage technology to create so much more impact with the same humans and the same resources. The uh, URL for that quiz is thehumanstack.com slash quiz. First up, human stack vitals. So there are three uh, systems, sustainability, digital strategy, and accountability. And I'm going to tell these or talk about them by looking at my logo. The next part of the podcast is a little bit visual. Tim's logo is a stylized A. If you can imagine the bottom half of the A is the boots on the ground, the two little legs, and that represents the driver that he talks about. And the top of the A is a triangle that represents the leader. Um, and those two items can be misaligned in various ways that he talks about over the next minute or so. If you are visual and want to have a look at the slides, you can find them on our website at communityit.com slash webinar dash nonprofit dash digital dash health dash workshop. And the first thing to say on that is we're not talking about individual use of technology. We're talking about an organization's use of technology. And just like the tech stack is a community of technologies, the human stack is a community of humans that use tech together. And when you're working in on the human stack, there's always a leader that is accountable, strategic, and a driver who's boots on the ground responsible and tactical. So one way of thinking about this is that it only takes one human to imagine a better world, right? Like that's easy, but to actually make a better world, you need more than one person, you need a stack. And so two people is the smallest you can have a, a human stack with. So, um, and the first one of those is digital strategy. Digital strategy, you should think of as alignment, right? The Leader is very aligned with the driver in this case. And um, so this is a starter digital strategy if you don't have one right now. If you don't have a roadmap, you're not sure what your strategy is, make this your strategy. Figure out your digital health, find out who's driving, figure out who's leading, 
and then make a monthly plan. Um, if it's helpful to join Digital Driver's Head, which is our online course, great, glad to have you, but you don't need to, you can get going with this right here. So that can be a, a starter digital strategy. If your strategy is not in alignment, it won't work. You can just see right here. And so Carol and I have worked with so many organizations that want tech, they've budgeted for it, they've done all this work, all these RFPs, all of this other stuff, and did not take care of this piece right here, which is to make sure that their tactical team and their leadership team are in alignment and ready to go. And it's not the whole team. It is a person and a person, right? There's a strategic person and a tactical person. All of technology success boils down to those that the relationship between these two people. Um, okay, accountability is a facet of that relationship. I call accountability just it's attention plus power. That's what I that's what I call accountability. And when you're when I look at my logo and I think about accountability, it's the gap between the leader and the driver. It needs to be close enough to collaborate, but not overlapping so that it's micromanaging, right? And and accountability has three different forms. So the kind of the worst form of it is to ignore behavior. When leaders ignore behavior, that is not positive account accountability. You can police undesirable behavior, and that's better than ignoring, but the best is to reward the behavior that you want. So recognition-based behavior, it just hits our brains and we're like, okay, I wanna do more of that. And um, especially, especially, I don't know if anybody's paid attention to the report around retention and nonprofits that came out late recently, but one of the main causes of churn or of people leaving organizations is the relationship between their supervisor and themselves. And that's not different in technology. So um, when it comes to accountability, if you... If you're not aligned, that's one issue here is digital strategy, but also this, does, this doesn't work. They're not close enough to each other, right? Um, or if you're working with someone who just ignores you, right? That's, that's the worst. So that's what, we're, that's what happens with accountability. Another version of this can be if there's static in between what's going on. So if there's constant conflict between the leader and the driver, you're gonna run into issues with your technology. And the last one is if there's just a wide gap, can never get any questions answered. You've met like two times in the year to talk about technology, but anytime your leader needs something, they're coming to you about it and, but they won't answer your question. Like that's what it feels like. And then you end up feeling really small and distant. Um, yes, Haley, it does apply so much more than just to tech. I am not, I'm not putting it in that box at this point. I really want to just say, let's fix the tech with these ideas. But you're right. There's a lot of organizational theory and design here. Thank you for that comment. Um, system sustainability. This is, are you creating relevant ongoing system improvements? And the way I think about this is that are people complaining? Complaining is a sign of hope. And what you want to do in a system is get people to feel comfortable enough to complain. Because if they will, then you can keep shaping the data in the systems so that they are improving and working. When it comes to um, how I think about this, I think about it as keeping things proportional, right? And so um, when people say, hey, this isn't working for me, you can, grow, uh, you can grow the system out in that area so that it will work. So this is my version of 
uh, where system sustainability is not working. The leader wants a lot more. The, like this is where like the human stack missed leg day, right? So, um, and then you can have the opposite too, where you've got like a a full stack developer under somebody that doesn't really know what to do with them, and that can create a lot of problems. One time when my daughter was very young, she went on a trip with her grandmother and everything went wrong. Wrong destination, flights canceled, just everything went wrong. And my daughter held it together all day because her grandmother said, when you get to where you're going, I'm going to get you chocolate ice cream. And when they got to where they were going, got to the front of the counter and ordered chocolate ice cream, the man said, we're out. And my daughter just dropped to the floor, a heap of, heap of tears, big mess. Because humans can only handle so much change, right? So when it comes to sustainability, one of the biggest issues in technology is this idea that you have to, you have to pay attention to how much disruption you're creating by, by getting a new solution fit, by making any of these adjustments, and how much capacity for change people have. And that's not how much tech capacity for change. That is organizationally, how much how much does this person have? And just like my daughter had a negative reaction to being disappointed and hitting a level of change that she just couldn't deal with, that one last thing, when humans hit high levels of change saturation over and over, they respond negatively and they associate, associate that negativity to whatever caused it. So if we're implementing a CRM, which I did lots of times and created disruption and change saturation for months on end for people, at the end of that, they were not happy with that CRM, even if it made their jobs easier. And they turned to the one thing that would give them mastery and autonomy, which is spreadsheets, right? Saw it over and over and over. So if we're implementing systems and we're not paying attention to change saturation, we're going to run into issues. I, I feel like that's also like a cultural issue as well, like that change, capacity for change and that oh, yeah. a lot of organizations, um, I just heard this recently, you know, there's, you got to really read the room. Like if you're an organization that, that um, has kind of a top-down culture, then telling people this is how we're doing it now may be fine for you change-wise. Like that's what people are used to. Or if you're more entrepreneurial people, people need to know like, why are we doing it this way? Who's going to do it? How are we going to do it? Then if you're just telling them we're going to do it this way, it's going to be a misfit, right? So you need to be aware of that, you know, like with your daughter, you know, read the room, like what is going to happen if there's no chocolate ice cream at the end, you know? And one of the one of the reasons I say complaining is a sign of hope is because you and I have both seen organizations swap out massive systems unnecessarily. And if they would have just solved some of the lowercase issues, then actually they would be using the system just fine. But instead, they delayed, they're going to spend 18 months getting to the same spot with a new system and spend six figures getting there. And um, And they haven't practiced the art of saying what's not working and fixing those things, you know, incrementally. And so that's why th that's why I put change saturation under system sustainability. How do you create regular small amounts of change that are effective for specific users? Right. So all of these are different ways that the human stack can be shaped in the wrong way. There's only one that it looks 
the right way in, that's the 10 out of 10 on all three of those factors. It's more understandable what's happening on the tech stack side of things than the human stack side. Solution fit is just if you have the right tech stack. The thing, the one takeaway that I want to leave people with is how stacks are formed, right? So this is a legitimate tech stack. And when I was a consultant, I felt like anybody that doesn't have a CRM doesn't have a legit tech stack. And that was just a really stuck up way of thinking because actually a lot of small nonprofits, like these are all different, like this is how tech stacks form over time as organizations evolve. But they're, but from the first one, the starter website and the financial operations, all of those were legitimate tech stacks. Um, and there are about 34 boxes on here. So when your team says we've got too many systems, just keep in mind, like there's 34 types of systems. If you double up any of them, you have more than 34. And um, so that's all just to say in modern workforces, you're going to have a lot of systems. Every time you have a meeting to reduce the number of systems, you'll have a new system at the end of that meeting. I guarantee it. It's just the way it works every single time. The issue isn't if you have too many systems, it's whether you're using them effectively and whether you know who's supposed to be using them. So data quality, here's what I want to say on data quality. This is a six-word theory of change about data. So data is plural for a thing called datum, by the way, which I didn't even know, but I keep finding out. Uh, data turns into information, and information turns into insight. If you do not have data that you trust, you should not be using that to make decisions. The big reason that organizations don't use their data to make decisions is that they know better. They've seen how it's made. And so organizations really need to start treating data as an asset base, especially in a world of AI, because the AI differentiator is basically the quality of your own data and what you know. Um, and then there are different levels across an organization on who spends more time in which of these areas. So staff spend the most time making data, directors spend the most time with information, executives spend the most time with insight. It's not to say staff aren't insightful, that's not the point here. What happens is that directors become the bottleneck. They need to find out from executives what insights do we need, and they need to pair that with the available trusted data. When they don't find that data, they need to make changes or they need to clean up the data. So. Um, that's a six-word theory of change. If you really dig into that, it will change so much about how you're working with systems. The last one is utilization. And that's just, are you using the systems as intended? And that's actually all I'm going to say about that. Um, all right, so picking up the story with Jennifer, what happened with Jennifer and her team was that they did go through a lot of the, they actually did their own work on understanding their organization, counting up their systems. They were using 48 systems. And by the time they were done, they were using 49 systems. And it wasn't too many. It was just, it was like what it took. They did do digital driver's ed. The four skills that we taught Jennifer are assessing her current state. That's how she became an expert and seen as an expert. Instead of bringing me in to be the expert at hundreds of dollars an hour, she became the expert and she's so good. Uh, she knows how to maintain the data. She knows how to manage requests. And she is driving the culture by meeting with uh, the team around that. They're really succeeding at that. If digital driver's ed sounds interesting to you, I'm glad to talk with you about it. The main point isn't that. The main point is that it's possible for someone like Jennifer working about two days a month on data and information systems to actually feel confident 
and for Bridget to spend one hour a month meeting with Jennifer to hear what's going on with the system. That's really the kind of oversight that we're talking about. So that's what we did with Digital Driver's Ed. My dad joke on Digital Driver's Ed is learn to drive your tech before your tech drives you crazy. How can we collaborate with community IT to support our needs with no in-house tech person? And I would say, you know, for outsourced IT, a managed service provider, that is really, really, really difficult. Um, it's very difficult for us to work with a organization that is not aligned, as you were talking about, Tim, with the different pieces going the different ways. We sometimes get people, you know, and our heart just goes out to them. It's like the intern calling us and they'll yep. say something about how the executive director you know, we're using donated laptops, but I really think that we need to, you know, do this and that. And it's just, it's so difficult because until you have that executive buy-in um, and you start doing the alignment that you're talking about and building up that maturity and ability, like in a lot of cases, there's like, you need the ability within your organization before you can get an external um, IT support to, you know, function. If you're so dysfunctional, it's not going to be a good relationship. So can you talk a little bit more about that and like kind of how you, I know we talked about how you landed on helping smaller nonprofits develop the skills within to be able to manage their IT, but um, can you talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the way that we've structured that in, and this was really intentional because we did so much uh, support work over the years uh, as a as a consultant. Um, inside of Zone Three, Skill Zone Three, which is managing requests, the the first thing to say is never fix something that wasn't requested. Technologists have a really bad habit of fixing things nobody wanted fixed in the first place. So always wait for there to be a request, and it can be the intern that's making the request. That's fine. And then there are six buckets, six cues that we teach our drivers to put them in. And the intern, by the way, is a great use case for digital driver's ed. That's why we built it. So that that intern can say, okay, here's the training. Nobody in that organization can give them. And one of the cues is called a consultant cue. Um, and what happens is that they go to a conversation queue first and then to the human stack community and says, hey, does anybody know how to solve this? And if neither of those are working and it's important and needs to be solved, it goes into the consultant queue. That's where it would be ready for a service provider like community IT innovators to come along and say, okay, right, this is really clear. You've thought it through. You've got it prioritized. You've got all of the questions answered already. So now we know what to do with it. Um, and, you know, and a lot of that is you'll spend half your time with the consultant figuring out what you don't know in order to find out what you need. All of that could be done without charging hundreds per hour. Ahead of beforehand. time. Yeah. Yeah. To really figure out what the business need is. So I love that. We have a quick question in the Q&A. And that is, would you say the human stack is a way to set up a data tech governance method and engagement? I love the word engagement there. Because um, that is like, I don't, here's what we don't, we don't have an adoption problem, actually. We don't have a change management problem. And I don't think we mostly have governance problems, although sometimes we do. Adoption is actually accountability. Change management is actually habits. And when it comes to government, governance, those are meaningful conversations that are relevant. 
And so, yes, this is a, in fact, one of the cues is called the conversation cue. And that is specifically for governance questions. And it rolls up to a monthly meeting. For larger organizations, we have this built inside of a full-scale white glove uh, methodology. And in that methodology, yep, both engagement and governance are part of what we, what that methodology was built to handle. So great question. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because like you were saying, like you might be queuing up that consultant ask um, and it's for, you know, like a database consultant or, you know, like some, there's a specific piece of the tech stack that you need outside expertise on. Um, So that makes sense because I want to make sure that we are mindful of the time and uh, talk about our learning objectives. So we were, I think, I think we did pretty well. We wanted people to be able to take this free digital health quiz. um, And you have that uh, link if you want to take it uh, later. The uh, URL for that quiz is thehumanstack.com slash quiz. Um, We wanted to understand human behaviors and needs that are at the root of IT management, um, learn the basics of nonprofit tech decision-making strategies. So you gave us like a very quick whirlwind, um, you know, kind of teaser for uh, how to understand a lot more about how to make nonprofit tech decisions, and then learn some of the orders of steps to take to gain that decision-making confidence, like the the woman that you were talking about um, who you know, was able to just handle running things um, while once they while she's doing it and it's become more aligned uh, with her leadership. So so I want to thank you, Tim, so much for joining us today. I feel like I mean, it was a whirlwind, but you've just given me so much to think about. And I hope the um, attendees as well. I want to thank everybody who attended. Um, You know, thanks for joining us for this hour. I hope it was useful. You have our contact information. You can get in touch with us um, after the webinar if you have more questions. Um, And yeah, please use the quiz. Use the resources that are on Tim's um, site and uh, let us know how it goes. We always want to know the the good success stories and the challenges. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with everybody. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.